This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello and welcome everyone to the Future of E-Learning podcast. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall. Glad to be here with you. And uh, we're going to talk all things e-learning again today with our special guest, Ramesh Bowen, CEO and founder of Nomadics Corporation. He is a serial entrepreneur a uh, successful business executive, inventor, technologist, uh, you name it, he has done it. He is always out there thinking differently, unconventional, outside-the-box approaches to solving large-scale and complex problems in a lot of different industries, including interactive media, telecom, healthcare, and now most importantly, what we're talking about today, education. So we're going to try to solve all of the uh, issues in education today, if possible, uh, at, at least go into some depth on uh, some really key topics that are growing in um, you know, their impact that they're having in this digital revolution that we're experiencing. We're going to talk active learning. We're going to talk personalized learning, platform-driven learning, AI, uh, all kinds of good stuff. But before we start, I want to give uh, Ramesha a chance to just give us a little bit of background about yourself and uh, your roots in education. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. Uh, JW, thanks for having me as your guest. Of course. This is uh, what I'm very passionate about. I started out when I was very young. I'm the son of my mother is a high school math teacher, so grew up to be very passionate about math, science, and also engineering. Education played a really vital role uh, in while I was growing up. So after I finished my engineering, uh, I pivoted and and I wanted to become a computer scientist. So I finished my master's in computer science and I was fortunate uh, to uh, be part of one of the first computer graphics, computer animation companies in the world. And I got the chance to work under the father of computer animation himself, Dr. Charles Suri. Oh, wow. Then after that, I got to work uh, in Bell Labs back in the 90s uh, when it was in the glory days. <laughs> and I became the head of the innovation at Bell Labs. And after that mid-90s, I've been an entrepreneur for about 25 years now and multiple companies in several industries. Fortunate that I decided to go back about five years ago to my roots and founded Nomadics. It's a dynamic active pla learning platform uh, for different education segments. Great. And that's where we're at. Perfect. And I know you have roots in education. My, my mother is an educator as well, K-12, for many years. Your mother was an educator as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. She was a high school math teacher. And you uh, were grading papers as yes, a young I was. Uh, child. <laughs> Yes, uh, nine years old, and uh, I uh, had lost my dad when I was seven years old, and uh, so she raised me. She's a single mother, and uh, I was the oldest son, and, uh, you know, I graded papers. She fed me, and we were all happy. <laughs> it worked when you've come so far uh, from, from that uh, education background uh, in your roots, so I wanted to touch on that. Uh, we have kind of a, a hot take here, a fun fact uh, that we want to kick off before we get into the meaty stuff, but uh, you were sharing with me uh, some statistics. Uh, the education and learning curriculums 
are the most under-digitalized and undisrupted verticals in the world. Uh, we may not think of that as much here in the U.S., but less than 2.5% of the education economy globally, yeah, is, is that's all that's spent on technology, which is crazy. Um, and so why is that the case? And you know, when do you foresee it changing? Yeah, I mean, I was shocked when I saw that. The numbers came out about a year ago from one of the leading market research analysts. Uh, the company name is Holon IQ. Uh, they're out of Australia, but they're pretty global. And um, they had come out with this report that, you know, 2.5%. I mean, that was shocking. But if you look underneath, uh, there are several reasons that you can think of why it is, because learning itself is pretty complex. You know, the, the entire process of learning, how the cognition develops, the neuro and the behavioral sciences behind it, I don't think we as humans really have got our hands around it. We don't fully understand it, you know, let alone try to have a digitized process just really help us through that. So that was probably the only thing. I mean, if just come to think about maybe a parallel, right? So just give another example. So look at digitizing boarding pass for us to travel, right? How long has it been? It's been about 20 years. And here we are, now we are carrying boarding passes on our on our phones. So it takes a long time to take any process and put it through the entire, you know, digital transformation. And so that's one of the main reasons. But again, if you look at a little deeper, education is multimodal. So even until about 10 years ago, we didn't have the right devices, right? Sure. You were carrying laptops, but the laptops were $1,000, $2,000. And then you cannot use, it was not interactive, it's not touch sensitive. Now, you know, all of that has changed. You know, tablets arrived, you know, you have the smartphones, so that changes everything, right? So um, the content production and delivery, that's so complex. It's been the publishers that have been pretty much controlling the whole thing. And for them to move from paper to a more digital, more interactive type of media, it just, the model is changing, right? But still, it takes a long time. So the internet has made the content availability. You can find a lot of content out there, but still to be able to make that into a digital active learning experience, more interactive and all that, that's still not very scalable because, so we're, pretty much stuck in paper for most part. I mean, even in the US, if you walk into a classroom, I might they might have a one-to-one -one classroom with all the devices, but then they'll keep the device just for doing a few things and for, you know, just solving a problem, getting down and, you know, showing the step-by-step -step work. They get into a paper notebook or worksheets or that's still continuing. And last but not least, I mean, it's the policy and the economic factors, right? So the decision making, especially in K-12 schools, it's so decentralized. There's a lot of bureaucracy, you know, surprise, surprise, right? Right. So it's, so it's, that makes it very slow for introducing any kind of change in a massive scale. For them, they don't really have all the resources to invest into this digital transformation. And then for the reason, you know, what is about to change? So the analysts are predicting that it's almost going to double 
So it's going to be about 5%. The whole economy itself, the education economy itself is, is going to be growing. So that's going to be a healthy growth in the next five to six years. And uh, that's because there's increased investments from startups. So if you look at a lot of the legislation in the US, they are passing legislation saying that you can take the textbook and you can buy digital resources out of that. And then globally, there's a lot of countries that are coming up with these think tanks and these initiatives at a national scale, at the ministry levels. And so there's going to be a lot of spending into more modern and advanced technologies. So, And it's, it's exciting because a lot of times the digital boarding pass, it's a long time coming. But then when it gets here, it seems like it happens overnight. And now Americans got it in Southwest and everyone, you know, kind of comes on board and then you can't remember what it was like before. I think you're starting to see that with some of these technology breakthroughs that they've been 20 years in the making. But now that someone's really figured out a good way to do it, it's now becoming commonplace very fast. And so I think that's really exciting to the other, uh, you know, 90 plus percent uh, of the global economy that's not there yet with education and technology is that as, you know, innovators are, you know, figuring these things out, they should be able to scale globally now faster than ever because the hardware is coming and it's there in some places. The software is you know, being built quickly. So a lot of these countries you know, are late to the game, but they may be able to catch up very quickly based on the, the labor of you know, what people have done for the last 20 years to kind of get us to where we are. So that's really exciting. You mentioned active learning, um, and I want to dive into that for a second, kind of active learning versus passive learning. Uh, I think the statistics show that uh, more than 90% of the digitized learning is typically passive. Uh, PDFs, PowerPoints, uh, it doesn't count if they have, uh, you know, uh, words come in, the bullet points come in. That's not active. That's just uh, annoying. Uh, But, uh, you know, multiple choice questions, even video, which we love video at market scale. um, If it's just a recording of a lecture, it is very static and boring, right? You can make engaging videos that are going to be the best thing you can get close to active learning, but still even most video out there is, uh, you know, a babysitter. It's a passive, you know, activity you're watching. And unless there's more built around that with some activities and assessments and things that are hands-on, then it doesn't come to life. It doesn't become active. So uh, I guess the question would be, could you give us some examples of active learning for those of us that aren't as familiar with it um, and why it's important that we should always be striving for more active learning versus passive learning? Yeah, I think it is uh, over the over the last 10 years or so, there's been so much research going on about active learning. And there's even like a learning pyramid, uh, if you could visualize that, how like at the top of the pyramid, which is starting with reading and listening to podcasts, and listening to lectures, watching videos, all of that is top of the pyramid, and how the learning retention and the effectiveness is is five, ten percent. And then when you get into uh, more of the sharing of information and all that, that gets you up to about twenty, twenty-five percent. Only when you start actually doing, practicing, experiencing and also coaching, right? Teaching. It's the best form of learning. So that gets you up to the 80 plus percentage in terms of 
cognition development and learning retention and all of that. So there's a lot of research around that. I mean, it's, it's very interesting when we were starting to study this topic, I found a quote from one of the Chinese Confucius philosophers back from 2,200 years ago. And this is what it says. Tell me and I'll forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. There you go. Okay. That's what active learning is all about. Learning by doing, practicing, experimenting, and experiencing. So if you want to look at some of the examples and where we are at in this whole digital transition, what typically happens is we have found a good way to digitize lectures, right? You can, you can have distance learning where there's, you can put the picture, you have Skype or Zoom or, you know, you have somebody giving a lecture, right? And a lot of students are listening to it. Uh, you know, that's synchronous learning. So all those are passive learning. And then you give lots of reading material. So there's a PowerPoint slides, there's a PDF files, there may be some audio files, all of that. That's, that's all great. Then when it comes to actual, let's go through the process of getting them to do, do a problem set or do some practice, right? Some repeti repetition work, especially in math and all that. That all gets down to worksheets. It all gets down to, uh, you know, maybe the you're watching a problem set online, <laughs> but you're actually doing the step-by-step -step solving of the problem on paper. Yep. Right. So there's a disconnect over there. And then assessments are awesome because, you know, you can automatically grade them, digital assessments, and you get data out of that. So that tells you what somebody knows and what somebody doesn't know. And then you can, you can, you can analyze the data. You can, you can, you can build reports out of it. And now you can start learning from patterns and then you can make the learning more adaptive. All of that is wonderful. But what we are missing out, you know, with assessments, you get about 20% of the data. Right. The how the learning cognition develops and how the learning happens is in about 80% of the step-by-step -step learning, right? It's multimodal, right? So I could, a lot of people are visual learners and I could learn by looking at something and start doing something, but there are a lot of people that are more tactile. They prefer more, and, and the next generation is starting to look at, you know, more interactive type of media to learn. All those can be, you can put under the active learning type of a bucket. So the difference between assessments is assessments are very important that are sort of as the indicator of how much the students have learned, but the how the learning is happening, why some students learn better than others, that gets into more of the active learning part. Digitizing that part, I mean, now you're starting to get into the more granular levels of detail. And once we have sufficient data out of that, we actually call it augmented intelligence. AI is more about more of the deterministic data, data sets that you capture using assessments. But when you get into the unstructured learning part, 
like take an algebra problem and you're showing step one, step two, step three, step four, it's very unstructured. Number one, you're using a, using a pen or a stylus to actually show it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, and, and, and the mathematical formulas could be so complex and there could be like 10 different ways by which you could solve a problem. So this is all what makes the whole thing so complex, but that's all comes under the umbrella of active learning. Wow, and there's a lot there to unpack, but I like to make the analogy of we moved from a textbook to a PDF online, right? And that's still static, but it's a step in the right direction. Now we've moved from a worksheet to maybe multiple choice online, which is now going to save, you know, grading time for teachers. So those are, yeah. you know, big uh, impacts on, in some ways, but small impacts in others. The actual learner doesn't matter if they read a static PDF or a textbook, they're getting the same experience. And it doesn't matter if they fill out a worksheet or they do a multiple choice, it's the same end result. So I like what you're saying, this 90% that's not digitized yet uh, needs to be digitized. So a teacher can just not see more than just a right or wrong answer. They can actually see the five steps that a student took. And sounds like what you're saying with this AI is uh, that could even help identify which of those five steps that the students struggle with so that a teacher doesn't have to start from the beginning and say, okay, we missed this question. Now walk me through every step, right? A teacher now could just get right into, we see you're struggling with step three. Let's get in and talk about that. And now I'm assuming that can be done in real time. If you're in a classroom setting, a teacher can see a dashboard of all the students and pick out a student that's struggling early on in that 45-minute block and start spending active time with them, or they see everyone struggling through question four or five. And now let's stop wasting our time when everyone's lost and let's spend this time doing, you know, the teaching. I guess the follow-up, all of that to say the follow-up question is, how do we get there? How do we capture that data? Is that is that even possible yet? Or is that still kind of on the horizon? No, I think it is it is it is where, you know, we are taking the whole technology, right? Um, there's this whole analogy to robotic process automation, which is putting virtual robots behind people who are working on screens. And so the robots are sitting there and they're watching. I mean, they're not physical robots, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a virtual robot that is sitting on your device and it knows everything that you're doing every click that you're making, every stroke that you're doing, right? And the in the education context, obviously, I mean, teachers are there and they're at the center of the whole education process still, right? Yes, and they can't they are, be done without teachers. They cannot be done without teachers. So the sort of the peril that we do is we have virtual teaching assistants because if there are 25 students and one teacher, it's not possible for the teacher to be behind every student watching them every minute of the the class period. So what the technology can do right now, the virtual teaching assistants would be sitting behind the shoulders of every student. And since you're getting into the active learning part and they're doing it on the screen digitally, it would be watching everything and places where it's smart enough to intervene and provide instant feedback. Uh, even if it is a handwritten answer, it'll automatically grade it and it can do it, right? Wow. But 
in situations like I was saying, algebra and some of those calculus and those kind of complex things where we still don't have the data to for the robot to tell, hey, he's taking route number four and you know he just got off rails here. So I'm going to have to tell him that. Where it cannot do that, what it can do right now is start collecting that data. Right. As though somebody was standing there and watching, and now that unstructured data can be mined, and then you can start applying, building models out of that, and those models can make the machine more intelligent. And then at some point, we will have sufficient data that we can train these virtual teaching assistants to be smarter and smarter. Wow. But this whole idea is, you know, and the, and, the, and the difference is, you know, in the enterprise world, you use all these virtual robots to replace humans. In this case, what we are doing is we are using these virtual teaching assistants to accelerate the cognition development of humans and make humans smarter. Right. At the learner level and the teacher level. Right. Absolutely. To get the most out of that time that they have together. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're arming the teacher with so much intelligence that they don't have, so they can have deeper insights into some of the specific students that are struggling with something. And they not only know that they are struggling with a certain concept or a certain problem, now they can actually get into why is the student, because they can exactly pinpoint you know, whether they, instead of doing a plus sign, they put a minus sign. So it's focused intervention, not just shooting in the dark and trying to. So right now what you can do is if you're giving them an assessment, so you'll say, you know, answer these three questions. And if they get question two wrong, you'll put them back and say, go into problem one first or give them based on the adaptive tree, you'll go and say, okay, learn this concept again and try to do this problem again. Here you are, you know exactly where the student is going on. So the kids get more motivated because you're not just going and asking them to go and do something over and over again, right? You're, the solution is so specific. So it's more effective learning, right? Uh, the kids are more engaged because, kids are more engaged because you're, 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 you're providing them with instant feedback. It's also more interactive, so they get more engaged, and, and that's kind of the lead, leading in, indicator for the effectiveness part that comes later on. That's great, and that's going to have a direct impact, especially on math and science, where in the traditional worksheet model, you could do something wrong 10 times and never know it until the next day or next week when you get your paper graded back to you, and now you've moved on to another topic that you don't understand, and you get behind and behind and you never catch up. And so it's really exciting that hopefully this can keep our young learners as well as adult learners um, more engaged with that content in real time so that they stay with it and they want to continue to you know, grow those foundations beyond the minimum. And so that's exciting. And it, another thing that made me think of talking about the AI, uh, which is a little scary, but mostly exciting as long as it's used for good, uh, it seems like it would be like a football coach. I'm a football player, yeah. uh, a football coach with uh, 50 or 60 players trying to coach the entire team or even conduct a practice by themselves. Yeah. Now they have all these assistant coaches, kind of like the AI could provide that assistance so that the head coach is now focusing on the players that need the most coaching right there with their expert knowledge or the groups of players. And so 
Uh, that just kind of came to me as you were talking about Absolutely. the AI. That's a kind of an exciting um, you know, development. The other analogy to easily understand is, is how we went from all these Rand McNally maps and everything that we would use to navigate, and then all of a sudden there's uh, mapquest.com that came over there and you digitize the maps, but they're just sitting there. Still you static. could print them. Yep. Right, but you're you're. It's not interacting with you, but with Google Maps or even now Waze, which is even finer granular data. You know exactly what's going on and how to do everything in more dynamically in more real time. Right. Yeah, so, and you can navigate yourself somewhere, but now you can navigate around others in traffic, and of course that's laying the foundation for the autonomous vehicles. And yeah. so, yeah, you can look at some other industries and verticals and see this happening there, and why not in education as well? So Building more and more context and more and more intelligence into the whole process, right? I mean, you can figure out where the next Starbucks is or maybe where the next McDonald's is. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. The whole experience, navigation experience is, is, is different now, right? Yeah, and I don't know if we need GPS to tell us there's one on every corner, but yeah. uh, that is a, <laughs> a good point. Uh, we touched on some buzzwords that I want to kind of break down a little bit here. Personalized learning, personalized instruction, adaptive learning. Um, those have been around for a while, but it seems like these concepts are really being delivered more commonplace now. Uh, what is the secret sauce that companies are using to deliver these type of learning experiences? And are we there yet or are we just scratching the surface with some of this stuff? Yeah, you know. Personalized learning has been around for several years now, so there's been a lot of talk about it. And then basically what you're trying to do is, is get into some kind of a self-paced learning model, and then you put the kid in front of a, a computer, and then you have a scope and sequence that you're putting the kids through, giving them different kind of problems and asking them to solve it and you have some kind of decision tree at different points and the system itself is adaptive and it's guiding you through based on um, whether you're answering a question right or wrong. I mean, that pretty much sums up adaptive learning right now. Sure. Okay. The ultimate, let's, that's one end right now, what, where we have come so far. Let's take it to the other extreme. What is the ultimate personalized learning experience? It's the one-to-one -one tutoring. Having a tutor sit next to you and being able to focus on through your entire learning process, right? That is hyper-personalized learning. Wow. I think that's where we are targeting to go. How much ever you do with AI, it all depends on the level of granularity in which you're getting the data and then you're applying the intelligence. The more granular you get into and the more contextual you make it, then it becomes more and more effective, whatever you're trying to Same thing with personalization. So getting into the process of learning, active learning, is and not just the assessments, right? So if you can get the assessments actually, the process of assessment built into the process of learning, mm -hmm and digitize the entire process, that's sort of the nirvana. That's that's where we are trying to get to. That's that's sort of the goal. And that helps the students learn better because they almost have like a personalized coach for them sitting next to it. 
Yeah. And then from a teacher standpoint, allows them to gain deeper insights into, into the student learning gaps and, and make more informed instructional decisions. Right. So, and then they can more provide more targeted instruction and remediation based on that. I mean, we are talking about more on the K-12 level, but learning is learning, right? It's just, we're all at different places and different rates of learning and all that, but still the process of learning, everybody goes through similar kind of steps. Absolutely. And that that's a great point um, that what we're talking about today is focusing a little bit more on the education side of things, but these same principles apply to uh, learning personally and in our individual uh, learning uh, pursuits as well as B2B businesses that are doing trainings and are starting to evolve uh, from their kind of old school compliance-based textbook and multiple choice, uh, you know, HR compliance trainings to more of this engagement, more personalized learning, more Netflix, YouTube type style learning paths um, mm-hmm. that are going to be personalized. Um, and I think then we're going to see more of this personalized assessment come in to play more and more in uh, the business world to then push people into gaining the r- appropriate next skill levels. And I think upskilling will continue to Absolutely. grow. Uh, and this type of technology is really going to you know, fuel that growth, I think, very, very quickly. So we've covered a lot of ground here. Are there any other possible new digital transformation trends that you really see gaining traction in uh, 2020? Or, or And I know it's an infinite number, but is there one more we could touch on uh, before we start to wrap down? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think one big topic is gamification. Oh, yes. Right. And that probably applies not only to to the K-12, but it's lifelong. Yep. Right. And I've talked to some of the CTOs uh, of Udemy and some of these MOOCs and massive online courses and all that. One of the things that they really struggle or they're, the challenges that they are trying to overcome, how do you engage these people? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's lonely out there when you're doing online learning. By yourself. By yourself. And you're sitting there and you have to read through it. I mean, you're done with your work and you're coming over there. You're trying to get a course done and you're having to sit there and sort of read through all this material. And then you're preparing a report or doing things. So some of the things that can really help with that and uh, make it much more effective for even the lifelong learners, those type of courses. Just I'm talking in situations where you don't even have a teacher. Right. Is where you can you can put in bite-sized a lot of these content that you're delivering. So there's going to be a lot of focus on the micro-learning aspect of it. Yep. And then you marry that with the with the gamification, right? So there's there's certain certain competition element to it. There's a reward structure to it. Um, there's also a certain pathways that you take that just motivates you. Right. You want to get to the next level and the next level, very similar to gaming. That's right. That is very powerful. Uh, that's one thing. And last but not least, this is a little different from gamification, which is game-based learning. Mm-hmm. 
that's a lot more complex, right? So just give you an example. I mean, you know, what would you rather do? Sit with a dictionary and then try to memorize all these words? Or would you rather play Scrabble? And right. even better, would you play Scrabble with words with friends? Right. That you can do it at your own leisure, but there's a structure to it. There's strategies to it. There's so many different elements to it, right? That's game-based learning. That's very powerful. That just takes you a lot of times from what we are starting to call it's not just going from a serial thinking to parallel thinking. We can develop quantum thinking wow. <laughs> out of this. Yeah. These type of methods. And that's where you're moving from just going from non-engaging to engaging to uh, binge watching Netflix, binge learning, uh, you know, almost not being able to put the, the learning down for a minute. And that's the ultimate goal is to get to where the content's so good, so engaging, so gamified that people are learning and having fun. People are learning and being entertained. People are right now upskilling is really tough because it's powering through on your own. It's a lot of text reading. It's a lot of long video watching, a lot of assessments. But I really think you're going to see it become more intuitive, more fun, more engaging, and ultimately more rewarding um, to go down those paths and, and to want to learn things outside of your comfort zone versus just getting better at things you're already pretty good at. Uh, which is exciting. We're we're winding down on time here, but I, I have one more question because we haven't really touched specifically on a platform-driven approach um, and how that can help enterprises and schools uh, both uh, with this digital transformation process. And so I know you're an expert on this and I want to cover this before we uh, wrap up our time today. So uh, give us your thoughts on this platform-based approach and how that can really help accelerate this digital transformation process? That's, uh, you know, some of the problems that we've been overcoming with with the devices, all of that is taken care of, right? Now it's about content. Now it's about creating better experiences, better engagement, better effectiveness. How can you do that at scale, right? Because if you think about sort of the process that you have to follow to go from sort of a static learning experience, right? Even if it's like active learning material, it could be a problem set. Going from a just a PDF problem set over to something where it actually captures your step-by-step, automatically grades, provides instant feedback, gamifies it, all of this. The biggest thing that you need to get all those things done is custom software programming. Right. As long as we have that kind of complexity that is driving this whole conversion, it's not going to scale. Makes sense. That is the biggest challenge right now. And the accessibility, if the publishers, big publishers are the ones, that is the only content that is out there that needs to be made into more interactive and dynamic format, then... You can say, oh, okay, so it's the problem of the publishers because maybe they have the resources. They can spend $100 million, set up an infrastructure, hire all the technical programmers and all those people, and then push the static material that they have through that and then convert their content and then deliver it. What that does is, number one, it's not going to be rap- it's not going to be fast. It's going to take a lot of time. Right. It's so expensive. So they're going to pick which one sells best 
and which ones they have the competitive advantage and they're going to invest in that and they're going to convert that. Okay. And there's going to be a lot of them that are going to be put in the pipeline that'll probably take years to digitize. And then the second thing that it's going to do is, but the education world is not like that anymore. The access of content has been democratized with the internet. There's just so much content. There's small publishers, there's medium publishers, there's individual authors that have amazing material, right? That they've spent years. So how do you give them the access and the power to be able to go from that static model to a dynamic model? Sure. The only solution that you can do is by creating a platform that takes the complexity out of it. So how do you do it? So the first thing that, and it's very complex. That's why it's not. If it was easy, it would have been done by if now if and everyone easy, would be doing everybody it. Sure. Would be doing it. Yeah. Because what you're talking about is, is creating a system where you have what we call active learning blocks and assessment blocks. Right. And you put them into predefined templates. So you have for different patterns of learning. So if it is math then you need to capture step by step, that's one type of template. If it is science and you have, let's say, a chart of different planets or plant cell or whatever it is, that's a spatial representation. There can be drag and drop type of actions. So that is a different pattern. If you're learning using videos, which is static, now how do you make videos interactive? Maybe you can you can allow the author to insert interactive exercises at different parts of the video. Now okay. you made a video interactive, right? And more intelligent. So you have to look at it from that standpoint. That's what we mean by assessment blocks and active learning blocks. Once you are able to do that, then you've embedded all the logic and the interactivity and all of that into those blocks that for a, let's say even a teacher to be able to use it like PowerPoint and be able to drag and drop and put it into their own content or their own PDF files or their own images or own audio files and be able to create this type of very interactive lesson, dynamic lesson. That's what a platform can do. Wow. And once you do that, now you almost democratize the the whole active learning process. That's great. And it reminds me of, you wouldn't think 10 years ago about someone without very heavy coding skills building a website. That's or right. Or even an email newsletter 10 years ago, right? That's and right. now there are softwares out there that have that blocking where, okay, you select your template. We want to do it this way or that way for a different audience. And now you're starting to populate that content either with a WYSIWYG or also adding Absolutely. your video, adding your pictures, adding your stuff. And so that's really exciting that there's not, it's unbelievable there's not something out there already that's addressing this need. Um, and I, to some degree, PowerPoint has done that and things, but it hasn't been as active. That's right? right. That would almost be like an email newsletter. And now with Website Builder, you can do you know a lot of really complex things, active, interactive, engaging things, and who knows where it's going to go next. So that's really exciting to, to kind of hear about that's the next thing. It makes me think, too, of uh, some platforms like LinkedIn Learning, you know, is a yep. step in the right direction. It's, uh, you know, somewhere where people can have the platform to put their videos in and make some assessments, um, still 
kind of basic, not as interactive and active as it could be, but I'm sure they're building over there to continue to improve that. Um, but that's uh, really exciting that the, the platform-based, platform-driven approach is is coming next. And so that was a perfect what's coming in 2020 and the next decade of education. Uh, I think a perfect way to end our uh, podcast. So I want to thank you, uh, Ramesh, for joining me today. Also want to thank everybody out there for listening uh, to the podcast, the Future of E-Learning podcast, um, and just kind of remind everyone here at MarketScale, we truly believe that education is the highest form of marketing, and we stand behind that. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast.